to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together with all those who are in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that there be no division among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For just as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. For the body, the body does not, not consist of one member, but of many. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Good morning, Transit Church. Today's uh, scripture is coming from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 1 to 5. Okay. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in tongues speaks not to man, but to God. For one who understands him, he may utter mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be held. That's the word of the Lord. Uh, I was going to actually give a shout out to my wife for her, her birthday. I met her when she was 22. We married at 23, and now I'm not going to tell you how, long, how old she is. You can ask her, but it's been a great, uh, a great ride for us, and uh, I wrote in her card that she hasn't even gotten yet because we haven't given her any gifts yet as a family. I wrote, uh, it's been great to see her grow in, and my wife's always been smart, to, but to grow in wisdom and to grow in the grace of God over these years. And she's as beautiful today as when I first met her. And I called her the first night I met her. It was just, it's just a great story. That's for another day, another time. Father, we're grateful just for the gathering of your church. I'm thankful for this building, this facility, and for our relationship with, with uh, the rebranded Legacy Ministries. So we thank you for them and for every member, for the leadership, and, uh, and for the call of God that's on them uh, to make Jesus known. Lord, we pray especially for their gathering next week as they celebrate the ordination of their new pastor, but more so they, they, they celebrate just this new season in the life of their church. God, would you meet them here? Would you use them, uh, God, to bring people to faith and see people um, grow in the, the fear and the knowledge of you? And God, we pray that you know, just for the future of our ministries together, God, that you glorify yourself through us. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen and amen. All right, so we have been in a series in 1 Corinthians, and we're continuing that today. Last week, uh, we talked about love. Paul really does, he, he kind of puts a, a pause in the middle of uh, some corrective guidance and talk to the Corinthians in regards to spiritual gifts. And he pauses to talk about love because that's what the Corinthians were lacking. They, they had a lot of things going on in terms of spiritual gifts, but they weren't operating in the way of love. 
And so Paul takes the, the opportunity to, to both exhort them and challenge them a little bit in regards to how they were using their gifts because they were being selfish and prideful instead of using their gifts out of love. And so Paul starts in verse 1 with pursue love. And in these words, he's summarizing everything he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 13. And we don't have time to articulate that, but of course he says what, what God is patient and kind and he's not rude and he, he, love doesn't envy, all, all those things. And you can go on our podcast and listen to what we said about love, but he continues and earnestly desires spiritual gifts. The word spiritual gifts is the Greek word pneumatikos. And it literally means spiritual manifestations. And this echoes what Paul has already said a couple times, and he'll say it a couple times in our text today. Back in 1231, chapter 12, verse 31, he, uh, he said, uh, spiritual, uh, earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, in a sense, is, is to be, become marked by an actress, active interest in, to be passionate about and enthusiastic for spiritual gifts. And that's an interesting thing for Paul to say to this particular church, because back in chapter one, he says, all right, so you're a church that lacks no spiritual gifts. In fact, you've gone overboard. You've got all these things going on. And so if it seems like to me that we'd expect Paul to say, all right, so you need to put a seatbelt on and just like chill out. That's not what he does to this church. He encourages them all the more to be enthusiastic and passionate for and to desire spiritual gifts. Why? Because it will aid your faith. And then he adds, particularly that you may prophesy. So you've got this church that's expressing all different kinds of gifts, but they had gotten caught up into a particular gift, speaking in tongues. And they were using that gift in the corporate gathering, and Paul's adjudication about speaking in tongues in the corporate gathering is that what they were doing wasn't helping anyone. He doesn't say it's forbidden. He says what you're doing isn't helping anyone because it's hindering what needed to happen actually in the gathering when the church came together. And so what Paul is doing in our passage is he's, he's correcting the Corinthians on their wrong, the wrong exercise of a couple of spiritual gifts, particularly prophecy and speaking in tongues. So let me pause there. For the last three weeks, if you're new with us, not only have we been going through the, the, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, but we've sort of like given a series within a series as Paul has been talking to us about spiritual gifts. And we've said that uh, spiritual gifts, there's really three kinds. First, we have people gifts. Ephesians 4.11, uh, Paul will say that God gifts the church people, people that are especially equipped, pastors and apostles and Teachers and evangelists and, 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 and pastors. Did I say pastors? Which one did I leave out? Evangelists. And he gives those uh, to, the, to, to equip the church for the work of the ministry so that the church would be built up. And so, in a sense, there are special people that God calls and equips to equip the larger church for the work of ministry. We call that the fivefold office. And those are people gifts. My take on that is that. Here's the, here's the deal. All of us aren't going to be this fivefold kind of ministry, but all of us are, in a sense, people gifts. Every spiritual gift that God gives flows through a human being. So, in a sense, we've all been given to the church as a gift to the church, and, and, and those manifest as skill gifts. Skill gifts are gifts given to the church so that we can serve the church. Gifts like helps and administration and leadership and teaching and mercy and giving and serving and encouragement on and on and on, that God wants us to use for the building of his church and the edification of people in the church. 
And then you have manifestation gifts. And we've said for the last three weeks, these are spiritual empowerment for the particular need in the moment that God wants you to meet, uh, wants to meet uh, through them. And we see these articulated in the middle of chapter 12, verses 4 through 10. The word of wisdom and knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. And in our passage today, Paul is particularly talking about dealing with two manifestation gifts, prophecy and tongues. Before we get into prophecy and tongues, though, because, I mean, Paul's going to talk some really some specifics about these two gifts. What I want to do is give you a, a purview of, of what he's doing. Before we even get into these gifts, I want to remind us of the, the context. In the first century, when the church gathered, they wouldn't have come to a big building like this. They met in, in each other's homes. And the expectation was when you came to church, that you came bringing your gifts with you, that you came with yourself, that you came with a little food because their church gathering, the liturgy had an agape feast attached to it, that they came with the expectation that people were going to bring their spiritual gifts to contribute to the meeting. And so in Corinth, unfortunately, they were coming to church, gathering with the saints, and they were contributing not necessarily to the the church gathering, they really were being selfish and contributing more so to themselves. They were eager to show off, in particular, their manifestation gifts. Let me, let me prophesy. Let me speak in tongues. Let me pray for you so you'll be healed. And everybody will know that I have this gift. And, and it's, it's as if they were saying, well, look at my gift. Aren't you impressed with me and what I can do? And what they were doing wasn't helping. In fact, various person, persons in the congregation with gifts would then become the center of attention for the particular gathering, taking away the attention from Jesus, the one that actually builds his church. And so, of course, there's a caution in there for us, and it's simply this. How, how have you come to our gathering? Have you come to just receive, or do you realize that when you come to church, you're supposed to give as well? When you gather with your community group, for that matter, do you gather to receive or just to give? Meaning, do you believe that you're here as a gift from God with gifts to walk in the power of the Spirit as we serve each other? Or do you feel like it's just a good Sunday if I come in, I'm going to receive whatever's, whatever music is being played, I'm going to receive whatever sermon is being preached, I'm going to leave and then that's it. That's a good Sunday. Is there anything in regards to how you partake of Sunday, a Sunday gathering of the church, that there's an expectation that you would come in and actually play a part, that you should, in turn, show up ready to build somebody up by the way that you use your gifts. And I start like that because Paul starts that way. And if we miss that point, we miss his whole, uh, the, the whole argument that he's making. Because I'm going to get into some specifics about prophecy and about speaking in tongues. And, you know, there are, there are varying ways that we accept or even tolerate those two ideas of prophecy and, and tongues. And you could just like tune me out from the very beginning and miss Paul's whole point. And what's this whole point? That God gives gifts for the building up of each other. That's why he gives spiritual gifts. He wants us, the church, to be built up. And guess what? He uses you to do it. And that's why we need to receive Paul's words today as he corrects and redirects the Corinthians on the gifts and conveys really three things to his church, to this church. Firstly, spiritual gifts are meant to build each other up. Second, spiritual gifts are meant to benefit others. And thirdly, spiritual gifts are meant to bring people 
to Jesus. Let's start with this idea of spiritual gifts, meaning to build each other up. Paul says in verse, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. All right, there's a lot here. Um, there's a lot that I want to say about both of these topics. Uh, let me uh, refer you to a book that I've read this week that um, I think is, is it's a particularly good book for those who are curious about spiritual gifts, but just this is really clear. And that's Sam Storm's book. Um, be, um, what is it called, Nick? Beginners Got the Spiritual Gifts? All right, Beginners Got the Spiritual Gifts. It's in my office. If, if, in fact, the first person that comes to my office after service, I'll give it to you if you say you're interested in spiritual gifts. No joke, I will. Um, and what's, what's interesting about Sam Storms is he didn't believe any of this stuff. He was a cessationist. He, uh, he thought the Spirit was there to bring us to faith and guide us along in, the, in, in our relationship with Jesus. But the, the, the manifestation of the gifts as articulated in chapters 12 through 14 had gone away. And then, of course, God met him and gave him these gifts. And so what do you do if you don't believe this stuff and God gives it to you? Well, you either believe God or you become a heretic, right? Or a hypocrite. And so that therein is that, that book that I would recommend to you. So let's dive into, firstly, speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. So the gift of tongues is probably the single most divisive, controversial issue in the 21st century church, right? I mean, more than the role of women in ministry, more than our thoughts on is there a rapture or not, more than our thoughts on should I be water baptized or sprinkled, uh, more than end times. There's just all this kind of hostility surrounding this gift. Some of you were raised in church backgrounds that have said that speaking in tongues is akin to snake handling, right? Like dealing with snakes. Some of us come, have been taught that only the ignorant and undignified speak in tongues, and when they do it, they're, they're ecstatic, out of control, their eyes are rolling behind their head, they're spewing devil language. Am I right? Some of y'all come from backgrounds like that. A whole half of Christianity says these gifts aren't even for today. And so that therein is the contention with speaking in tongues. So what is it? I like Wayne Grudem's definition. Wayne Grudem says speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. Wayne Grudem isn't making this up because he's such a smart guy. He's stealing from verse 2. And so in verse 2, the, 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 word, the, Greek, the, the word tongue in Greek is, is glossa. Translated, it just means language. But the sense of the word glossa is not just any language. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 10, that when we speak in tongues, there are actually various kinds of tongues, which means it could be a human language, what we see uh, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The disciples uh, were given the gift of speaking in tongues, and their tongues ended up being languages that the pilgrims gathered in Jerusalem were able to understand, them praising and glorifying God in their own tongue. But as Paul says earlier in chapter 12, it could be the language of angels, meaning Tongues could actually be heavenly languages that we won't even understand until we get to heaven and everything is made a little bit more clear. But in particular, 
Here's what Rain Grudem, Rain Grudem brings out. It's a language that the speaker has never studied, yet has a supernatural ability to speak. And so his words are helpful. Word, uh, so, so speaking in tongues, words of prayer are praise or, or are praise spoken to God. And so this, this definition is helpful. Speaking in tongues is primarily directed uh, to God in my prayer or praise. Wayne Grudem, again, is not making that up. He's stealing it from verse 2. Unlike prophecy, which is a message uh, that God gives a person and it's directed uh, from God to people in the church. Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise from my spirit that's directed to God. Paul will say later in verse 14 when we get there, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And what that particularly means is that I just don't know what I'm praying. It's not that I'm speaking gibberish, I'm making something up. It's a spirit-empowered gift. And in the, in the episode in Acts chapter 2, uh, the Holy Spirit gave utterance. It came out of my lips. It was prayer praise to God. It comes from my spirit to a person who is speaking. Wayne Grudem then says, it's not understood by the speaker. Again, he's stealing that from verse 2. What does Paul say? He utters mysteries in the spirit. Of course, this manifestation gift most profoundly happened at Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? I mean, turn back to Acts chapter 2. Beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, um, historical account of, of God giving the Holy Spirit to the early church and all that ensued after that. So uh, the background of Acts chapter 2, um, Jesus has been crucified. He's buried. He's raised. He appears on the earth for 40 days, uh, teaching the disciples about all that transpired when he was on the earth and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And he tells his disciples, go into an upper room and wait there for power from on high. He's basically telling them, wait for the Holy Spirit. It's going to empower you to go out and be my witnesses. The gospel will spread to the, to the known worlds. And, and I love what's happening here. You know, the, the, the book of Acts is, is the sequel to the, the gospel book, Luke, written by Luke, a doctor who accompanied Paul. And so Luke didn't, he wasn't an eyewitness to any of this. So he went back and um, asked people. He uh, listened to testimonies of people, some who were actually there, some who experienced this themselves. And in verses one through uh, three, one through four, it's interesting to me, he's trying to put in words what these people experienced of the Holy Spirit coming and giving them this gift. And he says, uh, on the day when Pentecost arrived, they were all together and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and then and, and then divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance i can only imagine the people trying to portray to luke what happened and then him trying to find the words to, to i mean i don't know make it articulate but what happened it, it was unexplainable it was a move of God that had never been seen before or experienced before, but it was so miraculous that it changed these people's lives and it actually manifested something. It manifested a gift of the Holy Spirit. It was like the wind came in, so it's like, I shouldn't do that. I don't want to scare y'all, right? It's just, it was uncanny, like, and it felt like their bodies were probably on fire. And then as the Spirit gave them an ability to do so, they spoke 
languages that they had never spoken before. In this case, there were Jewish pilgrims from all over the known world in Jerusalem for the Pentecost, and these disciples somehow go from the upper room to a local area, and they're praising and praying to God, and those who are from different areas uh, hear these people speaking and praising God in their own languages. And Paul tells us in Acts 2, they're from Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Persia and Pamphylia and Egypt. I mean, they're from all over. And yet they hear the praises of God in their own tongues. And the suggestion is like, these are just dumb Galileans. How are they doing this? So Peter stands up and says, hey, these guys aren't drunk. It's only nine o'clock. Happy hour's not until five, right? And then he goes on to explain, hey, so what you're experiencing was, was actually in the history of redemption. This was, this was a reversal of the Tower of Babel where God confounding the languages. He is making it possible that the gospel would go out to all the known world. In fact, you're recipients of it right now. Joel said that, his, that God's spirit would, would fill people and your sons and daughters would prophesy and your young men would see dreams and your old men would dream dreams. That's happening right now. And then he goes on to tell them about Jesus. He preaches this beautiful, um, the, the beautiful history of Jesus and him crucified. And at the end of Peter's sermon, he says, and what are you to do? Repent and believe the gospel. And what happens? These men come to faith. The Bible says 3,000 of them uh, came to faith that day. And of course, they went on, would be filled with the Spirit, would speak in other tongues as, 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 as the, uh, the disciples did, and the gospel would be spread to all the known world. That's what's happening here. And so when we come to Corinthians, they've been given this same gift, but they're using it in a way that's not helpful. In fact, they're being kind of selfish. They're trying to like put it forward as their gift that they can use any way they want. They're in a church gathering. Individuals are speaking in tongues out loud, but no one understands because it's not necessarily like Pentecost, where there are people from different places in the in the congregation. They're just spouting off uh, uh, tongues, probably the tongues of angels. And yet foreigners in Jerusalem aren't there to, to, to witness this. And so Paul's point regarding tongues is that when we gather as a church, we should restrain from speaking in tongues, not because it's a lesser gift. That's not what he's saying, but because it doesn't help anybody unless dot, 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 there is someone there to translate so that everyone can understand. So Paul's emphasis in verse five is that it would be great for all of you to speak in tongues. Does that scare you? Any of y'all scared by that? All right, you can't take that out of the Bible, right? You, you can't, like, un-Greek that, right? It, it would be great for all of you to speak in tongues. That's not hyperbole. But he says it would be even better for you to prophesy. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. That's another Wayne Grudem definition. Why would we prophesy? Because when we prophesy, you build people up. You encourage them. You console them. Another uh, definition would be a word from the Lord inspired by the Spirit to build up the body when spoken out loud. Paul gives three purposes for, uh, for prophecy, and I think he gives these to the Corinthians because they were probably violating all of these. And we see that in verse three. First, he says it should build up, not tear down. And so prophecy, when given rightly, should lead to people's growth and development. And that prophecy moves someone who's gifted to speak prophetically from God to people on his behalf to, to move the recipient and ultimately to edify them. I gave you the example a few weeks ago about really the first time that I had been the recipient of a, a prophetic word. It was 2002. 
Um, I remember it like yesterday, right? I was at a men's retreat. I was new to the church. I was new to Fayetteville, North Carolina. I was a young major. And uh, I had gone to this men's retreat and really knew, knew no one. And it was a Saturday night. We were sitting here like you are. A guy named Jim LaFoon, who, you, who if you look up, is probably one of the most well-known um, guys gifted with prophecy like in our country. Okay, So we had the opportunity to have him there. And at the end of his, just a regular sermon, uh, he goes into kind of a, like a pre prophetic presbytery. He's going to um, prophesy over people. And he points at me, like I'm pointing at Saji right now. And Jim LaFoon doesn't know me. I definitely don't know Jim LaFoon. In fact, I don't know any of these jokers. And I wanted to be there, but I did not want to be called out. Okay, and so this guy next to me, Sean Nix, was a, was a youth pastor. He's like, I, I think he wants you to go up there. I was like, I ain't going up there. I ended up going up there. And so Jim LaFoon, um, he prophesied over me. And it must have been like five minutes, but I remember every word. Firstly, because we wrote it, uh, it was written down. My wife wrote it down, honestly. Uh, after the, they recorded it, and then they made a tape of it. My wife wrote it down for me. But... Honestly, I would be lying if I didn't say that much of what he said set me on a different trajectory in life and that leads like right up here. He talked about leadership. That's where he started. He talked about leadership. He's like, I know you're, you, you look like you're a leader in the, in the natural and whatever you do, but I think God has something for you in a lead, leadership in a spiritual realm. And then he started talking about trust. He's like, you, you don't trust God. And then he said, it's like, you're, I see Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is like giving this picture of, of God's, the, God's the potter, and then you got this vessel here, that's the clay. It's like, you're, you're actually clay, and God wants to undo a lot about you and then put you back together again. And that's not going to be an easy task, but that's what he wants because, and then he started like pushing me a little bit because you don't trust God, which means you're rebelling against God, and I didn't, I, you know, I'm standing there listening to all this, but this guy was like reading my mail. And I wasn't rebelling against God as if I'm, I'm like sinning and running from God. But, um, you know, I, I was a person of entitlement and I had received a lot of favor in life, a lot of favor into the military. And I got to Fort Bragg, North Carolina in 2002, and I did not get the assignment I wanted. And I just thought I, God owed me that. And I basically said to God, all right, God, if you can't give me what I need and what I want, then I'm just going to like be a be a normal, lazy Christian, right? And Jim LaFoon in this prophecy called me out on that. And he just laid it, laid it all for me to bear. And that's what prophecy does. Sometimes it doesn't surprise you. It's not supposed to scare you, but what it does is it comes alongside you to, uh, to, to, to move you. To, to, um, it's for your good, and hopefully you'll be blessed by it. And I would, I would be lying if I didn't say what Jim LaFoon said that day um, was for my good. And it set me on a, just a different, a different slow trajectory in life that if I trace it, like every move since then leads directly to me standing in front of you right now. I mean, would it scare you if I said I would love to see that happening in our church? I don't know if we're going to get the caliber of a Jim LaFoon prophesying over people in our church. Jim LaFoon is, is like world renowned, but I would love to see the body of Christ taking responsibility to listen to God and to speak what he gives for the building up of his church. And I'm not going to lie. We've been praying. Me, Joseph, uh, Jonah's come. Solomon's come. We pray on Mondays between 10 and 11. 
We're praying that, Lord, we can show us how to use this, not in weird ways, but just in ways that you would want to build your church up. I think when we come together for family nights and prayer nights, this is a gift that we could see operating in our church, in your community group. This is a gift that could be operating in your church that we would pause and say, all right, Lord, so we're open. Our hands are outstretched. We don't know what this looks like. Some of us don't even know what this would be, but would you empower us to speak and encourage one another with gifts that you give for the building up of your body and the edification of your church? We can do that. Secondly, he says it can encourage, which means prophecy shouldn't discourage. It should lead to greater boldness to follow and obey Jesus. So um, this is like early days transit church. It's like two years in, and uh, there's a couple that came from my sending church, Man Church in North Carolina, Will and Wendy Owens. And uh, we were getting behind uh, a couple, Jose and Carla Rodriguez, who were interning at an Acts 29 church, Redemption Hill in D.C., and they were being sent out to be church planners in Mexico. So we were excited. This is the first church that we were going to support as a church, you know, just in giving money to them. And uh, we were excited to be able to, uh, to give to them and support them and pray for them. And so Jesus came in and he preached. He preached from Ephesians, a beautiful passage on, on the church, the purposes of the church. And then he prayed in Jesus' name, amen. Everybody's sort of like gaggling at the end. And then Will and Wendy came up to me. It's like, hey, we got a word for Jose, for Jesus and Carla. And I looked at Larissa. I was like, what? The what? <laughs> that, that had never happened in our church. And it wasn't that I was like nervous as to prophecy. I had been around this for like half my Christian church, Christian life. It had never happened in transit church. And so we weren't weird about it. I was honestly, I wasn't even sure if I wanted it to happen quite yet because I was, I, you know, I sort of planned the church. With a, with a large seatbelt on in regards to the gifts, because I wanted us to be a word-centered church before we were a, an experiential church, right? Word and spirit. But I, for whatever reason, I decided I was going to let Will and Wendy prophesy over, uh, over Jesus and Carla. Um, it was me, Larissa, Will and Wendy, Jesus and Carla. We all stood up, we're, we're in a circle, holding hands. Uh, Wendy gave the word. And she started out by just affirming Jesus and Carla that uh, God see, I mean, God has had them on this unique path, and it hasn't always been easy. God said through her, um, in fact, you're questioning whether you can really do this, and I want you to know that you're, you're in the right place at the right time. He's chosen you, and you can, you can do this. I'm not saying that the road ahead is going to be necessarily easy for you, but God is... God is with you. He's empowered you, and he's going to succeed where you fail. And all of a sudden, Carla just like welled up with tears. There's like tears flowing down from both of their faces. Um, so that's sort of the end of the prophecy. So it wasn't very much. It's a word of encouragement, right? We go out to lunch, and then uh, Jesus looked at me. He says, Jeff, it's like, this was beautiful. He's like, I've, I've never imagined that an Acts 29 church would have gifts of the Spirit operating in it. Like, what I, would, what I didn't want to tell him is like, hey, dude, gifts of, gifts of the Spirit ain't never, act, ain't never operated in transit church. Like, that was, a, that was a first. But that was what that was for. When we listen to God on others' behalf and speak what God gives us to another person, it encourages them. It builds them up. It gives them a boldness to face whatever situation that they might be in. Thirdly, Paul says it's good for consolation which is opposite from isolation. 
Consolation means that, that God allows you to come along somebody in such a way that it feels like God himself is there, that, that he sees you, that he knows you. It's a reminder that, that he loves you, that he's going to comfort you, and that he's going to assure you. So fast forward from 2005 at Manor Church. I'm a, I'm a newbie to the church. First prophetic word, 2005, a lot has happened. Like, it's as if life, has like in, life is in fast, fast speed. So I got a lot of favor going on in the Army. I went from Major S3 to, to, battalion, to the, uh, so battalion S3 to Brigade S3 to Corps Artillery G3 in like a year and a half. I deployed three times in four years. Uh, we're getting ready to have Zoe. I mean, just all this stuff is happening. But also, it's as if God took this prophetic word from Jim LaFone and he... Um, he reignited my spiritual life. And there's a lot of things going on in regards to Jeff and, and, and just leadership in the church. So I just got involved in everything in the church. At this point, three years later, I'm an elder at this large 5,000-person church. So all that's sort of, sort of going on. And Larissa and I were at this point thinking, like, Lord, what are you doing? Uh, it's the very first time that we would acknowledge, all right, so maybe God is calling us not to the army anymore, but vocational ministry, like full-time ministry. We even said the word church and planting together for the first time in our lives. And like, what is this? I've never wanted to do this ever, but it's God's dealing with us. And so we went to a pastor's and wives retreat with all the other pastors in the, in the church there. I don't remember where it was, but this is 2005. And it was, uh, there was a prophetic presbytery. So some guys like Jim LaFoon, it wasn't him, that came there and they were gifted to, to speak prophetically. And uh, I mean, so we, we, we didn't know he was going to call us up, but definitely on the inside, we wanted it because we, uh, it's not that we were, we were living our lives through a prophetic word, but we did need the encouragement and sort of the, uh, the umph from God, like, all right, you're on the right track. And so uh, Keith Hazel, remember like yesterday, Keith Hazel calls us up. And he talks about just us as a couple. He says, like, Jeff, you're, you're a visionary. You see things, but you're like a kite. Like, you're just floating all over the place. And uh, he says, thank God for your wife. She's like the string holding the kite down. <laughs> like, literally, he says this. And, and you all know that's true. Like, my wife is the brains behind the operation. Like, if my wife were not my wife, we would not be in this church right now. At least I wouldn't be your pastor. Right. So those were all true words. And then he started talking about how our home would be a focal point for everything we did from that moment on. How do you start a church? You start it in your house. Right. We didn't we didn't know what he was talking about then. But it ended up being that he started talking about um, just um, ways that we would be healing to our families. He, ta- he called us a first fruit. You guys know what a first fruit is in the Bible. It's the offering that the Israelites gave first and foremost before they did anything with the harvest that God brought in. And, and he said, there's a lot of dysfunction in both of your extended families, and God is using you as a first fruits to bring healing to your families. And that's, that was a word that we needed. Why? Because we just needed to know that God, know that God saw us, that he knew us, that he loved us, that we were in the right place at the right time, that we weren't trying to get too far ahead of him. And he used Keith Hazel, and actually he used another guy, uh, Rich Gow, to affirm us in that. You know, there's so many times in our church that I know some of you have that question. Does, does God even see me? Does God know that I'm, does he know what, I, what struggle I'm going through? Does he know the circumstances of my life? And this is what God does in prophecy. You get to join God. If you're the one with the gift, 
You get to join God in his present activity, telling people that he sees them and knows them and loves them. And that's such good news. It's good news if you're the one with the gift giving it. It's even better news if you're on the receiving end and you get confirmation. All right, I'm not crazy. I, 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 I was sensing what God was saying, and I can just stand and, and just wait on the Lord in this. God uses his body to do that kind of stuff. All right, so that's the first point Paul makes. All right, I'm going to speed up. Here's the second point. Gifts are meant to benefit others. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if some come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophesy or teaching? So really, in the next series of verses, Paul's going to he's going to go back and forth talking about the benefit of prophecy and the lack of benefit of speaking in tongues unless someone interprets. So I'm going to go fairly quickly. But he is just know that he is doing that. I mean, he's sort of like having a. Uh, a rhetorical argument with the Corinthians about the, these benefits of, of the spiritual gifts. And so there's a, there's a genuine purpose in speaking in tongues. He gives it to the body for a reason. But Paul says corporately, it's not going to benefit us if we can't understand what's being said. To benefit means it leads to a recipient being able to do something they haven't been able to do heretofore or to receive something that they haven't, uh, that they didn't have uh, before that gift came to them. Verse 7, even if lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp, I'm not sure why Paul doesn't like the flute or the harp. That's kind of harsh to say that, isn't it? Like lifeless? The flute or the harp is played. How will anyone know what, what is played? So key, two key words in that, in that verse, distinct and know, and that's what, really what prophecy is as opposed to speaking in tongues. When someone prophesies, they're giving a distinct kind of a distinction. You can understand what God is saying to you with a little bit of clarity, and that may not be so um, when someone speaks in tongues. You know how you guys are late to church and you come in on the middle of a song, but you get, I mean, I'm teasing you. You guys came, you guys come late to church late, right? All right, let's, let's back it up. Let's say, you, let's say you get in your car and you turn on the radio and you hear a song. The song's already in play, but you can still join in with the lyrics and the song. I mean, like you know what's going on. How do you do that? Because you kind of know it. Here's what Paul is su- suggesting. God is always speaking. There's, there's always a song from God to your heart, always playing. Job will say these words, God is always speaking. The difficulty for us is sort of articulating and understanding and discerning what he's saying. And so what prophecy does, it sort of clarifies that. It's, it, it, so, so God is giving you a word, uh, probably a, a feeling, a sense, uh, you know, something that's going on. And then someone comes along, sent by God, and they, they prophesize to you. And the very thing that they perhaps might say from God is the thing that you've been sensing that God is saying all along. That really is how prophecy works. And so what's the effect? It makes you more aware what God has already been doing. So there's a distinction. You recognize it. And it's really a continuation of God's work in your life. Verse 8 and 9. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your, uh, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you will be speaking into the air. And so you guys, you military guys know this from, from history. A bugle was used to, uh, to direct an army on the battlefield. 
uh, a bugler might blow the horn. It might be for Reveille, wake up. It might be for taps, go to bed. But it also, uh, in particular, might be for direction on the battlefield. Attack here, uh, assault there. Paul is saying uh, soldiers would have to pay attention to the distinct notes being played by the bugler. Paul says, this doesn't happen when we speak in tongues, but when we speak prophetically, there's a sense of a call, a call to action to go and do what God wants us to do. And so in a sense, we can actually test a prophetic word. Firstly, is it distinct? Is it reminding me of something that I already sort of sense God is saying? And secondly, does it call me to obey God? You know, if you get a prophetic word, it just sounds like whack. It's like telling me to disobey God or it's not sort of clarifying something that I already sense God is doing, it, it, it may not be a true prophetic word. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different tongues, many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker foreigner to me. Paul provides yet another analogy. He says, if we're speaking in tongues, we're going to be disconnected, unrelated to each other, almost like two foreigners speaking to each other, trying to help each other understand what they're saying, but to no avail because they don't speak the same language. It'll be like a bunch of individuals coming to a church gathering and just leaving like they came, right? And the admonishment is, is, is don't do that. When we come to church, we're supposed to come to connect with each other at a heart level, and then we leave as a as a, a community that God has knit together. We don't leave individually like we came. And of course, that community extends into our community groups. And so let's put this together. Paul's saying, you can know you're operating in the right gift at the right time in the right way if it helps others to, uh, if it helps uh, others to know the work of God in their life, if it leads them to obey, and lastly, if it encourages them to grow in relationship to one another. And if it's not doing those things, it's not an accurate or true prophetic word. Steer clear. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So here, he again, he's distinguishing speaking in tongues from prophecy. Speaking in tongues isn't bad, but he says prophecy is, is, is better, if we want to use that word. Why? Because it's intelligible. We can understand it. It's like a clear call from God, and it's going to edify the church. And it doesn't need to be, uh, doesn't need to be translated. And honestly, we're praying to that end. That's my hope every time we gather in this room, every time we come together for any kind of prayer, whether it's previous pre-service prayer, in your community groups, we're praying for this stuff. And, and I would encourage you, let's be crying out for God, not for weird stuff, but just to, for God to empower us, to pour out his spirit on us, that we would have a word from him that we can extend to others for, the, for the, the, the equipping of his church. Verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So let me be so bold to say, who speaks in tongues in the room? Amen. All right. Don't, don't be freaked out, people. I'm not doing that to point people out. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to break the stigma. Don't call something good that God has, bad or evil or of Satan, that God has said is a good gift to edify his church. And so tongues is a form of prayer and praise. So when I speak in tongues, it's my spirit that prays. In a sense, you're communing with God in this very beautiful way, this very Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit empowered way, such that my very soul is being edified. I don't know what I'm saying, 
My mind is unfruitful, Paul says, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't, it's not benefiting me. Verse 15. What am I to do then? So Paul is having this, he's having this conversation with himself in the Corinthians. He's like, all right, so we're in a conundrum. I just told you, tongues are good, but not, they're not good corporately unless they can be interpreted. And then he says, all right, prophecy is better, and I want you to prophesy. And so there's like a, a tension, particularly when we come to a, a church gathering. And here's what he says, all right, so I'm going to tell you what to do. He says, you should pray in the spirit, and those pray in tongues, but also pray with your mind, pray intelligibly in whatever language God has given you. He says, I will sing with my spirit. In other words, there's, there's another version of like tongues that we can like sing it. Caveat, have y'all ever been in a room where you perhaps all believers are there and out loud people are praising God, singing to God in other tongues? It's, a, it's glorious. It really is. I'll sing with my spirit, but also sing with my mind. So in speaking in tongues, you may be interacting with God in beautiful ways and in languages you have no idea of. But Paul says the issue is when you do that corporately, no one can say amen. No one can join you because they don't know what you're saying. They may not be encouraged. And so for that reason, you should leave speaking in tongues to your devotional time. Why? Because it doesn't benefit anybody, at least but you. Paul's being clear about order here. He'll say in verse 18, in fact, this is... A, a, a very clear verse. He says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I mean, what do you do with that verse if you're a cessationist, if you don't believe the Holy Spirit operates? This is Paul, the theologian who wrote almost half the Bible, who's saying he speaks in tongues. I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So the, 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 the caveat here is, Paul is, tongues isn't bad. It's beneficial. But he says, if we're gathered as a church, it should be interpreted. Otherwise, Paul says, be, be quiet. And, and, and here's what we should receive from this. It's like, this is God's word. And before we, be in, before we become an experiential church, just like basking in the spirit, we want to be a word-centered church. And the word has governed us here. This is Paul commanding us not to forbid speaking in tongues, but he's saying when we gather as a church, there's an order for which it should be manifested and displayed. And he says, when you're gathered, it should be interpreted. Otherwise, be quiet. I have to admit, I'm sitting down there worshiping. There are times when I just feel like I'm supposed to speak in tongues. And I, and can I tell you this? I do. None of y'all have heard me speak in tongues. You're not going to see me stand up in a pulpit or Nick and speak in tongues unless it's a weird one, weird Sunday, right? But it's a gift that God gives. Uh, and, and probably when I'm doing it, I'm like praying for myself when I come up here so that I would give you what God wants you to have. So don't be afraid of that. Here's the last thing Paul says, and I'll, I'll skip a couple of verses and we'll get to the end of here. Spiritual gifts are meant to bring people to Jesus. Verse 19, nevertheless, in a church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words uh, in a tongue. Paul is saying, hey, if, if all I got, if I can only say five words, I would rather give you five words that are clear and intelligible than to give you 10,000 words in a tongue. I, I'm curious as to what those five words would be. I, I, I just want to speculate. Back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, I, I decided to give you nothing except Jesus, and him, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus, the one who saves, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, um, crucified. 
the one who died in my place for my sin to reconcile me to God. Paul's telling Corinthians, I'm not here to impress you. I'm not trying to tickle your ears. I'm not trying to give you quaint stories and make you feel good on the inside. I'm not trying to give you a good application of three steps to make your life great. He's not trying to give us some clever twist on a Bible passage that you've never heard before. Paul says, I want you to leave here today knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. Don't leave here impressed with anybody's gift, but the gift of Jesus. And that's the reason, that's, that's how I want you to leave from here today as well. Verse 20, what Paul does is he goes, verse 21, he goes and he quotes uh, a passage from Isaiah. Isaiah is given this oracle from God. Uh, the people were making fun of Isaiah and they were rejecting the word of the Lord that God said, hey, Israel, get your act in order or I'm going to bring Assyria in. They're going to uh, defeat you in battle. They're going to de uh, decimate your city and they're going to take you into exile. And on the heels of that, Isaiah prophesied and God's going to send people in with with languages, with foreign lips that are stammering. And it was, a, it was basically a judgment on the Israelites for disbelieving God. And so Paul takes that in verse 21. He says, in the law is written by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners. I will speak to this people. Even uh, even then they'll not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for believers, uh, not for unbelievers, but for believers. Uh, in verse 23, for therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you're out of your minds? And so Paul is highlighting basically two things. Firstly, he says, if unbelievers come to our church and they hear everybody speaking in tongues and there's no one to interpret, it's going to be kind of like the Assyrians coming in, speaking a foreign language. And it's and it's and it's it's not helpful. Okay. In fact, it's going to lead to rejection of God and his gospel rather than acceptance of it. And so his, his admonition is, let's not do anything. Let's not, let's not even do spiritual things that's going to keep, that's going to make an obstacle for people to, to jump over and, and make Jesus their own. Let's not do anything or say anything that's going to make it hard for people to receive the salvation that Jesus offers. Does that make sense? And then here's how he ends, verse 24 and 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to an account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among us. One commentator says to, to these words, he says, no wonder the Corinthians prefer speaking in tongues. Not only gave him a sense of being more truly spiritual, but it was safer. And what he means by that is, you know, we could come into church and if we don't under, understand anything that's saying, it could, it could literally be that the person that has come is not accountable. That they've heard Jesus and the, if they don't, they don't hear articulately us talking about Jesus and the gospel, seeing it, praying it, preach it, they could leave and literally say, you know what, I don't know what that was about, say la vie and just walk out unchanged. But if we come to worship, as we're supposed to, and in our words, and in our prayers, in our singing, we're articulating Jesus Christ and him crucified. If we're saying unequivocally, with, without any measure of un, uh, ability not to understand, 
that the way to salvation is through Jesus, then what happens? We cut to the chase, and we have the opportunity to move a person from unbeliever to believer. And Paul is saying that's exactly what we should be doing, that we should be moving people from those aspects in our services. And so let's not do anything that would get in the way of people hearing from God in our worship services. So let me close by, by just asking you this crazy question. So what do you do if you know God is talking to you like, like, like if he's doing something in you, speaking to you, like even right now? And I want to talk to two different people. Firstly, if you're here, you're not a Christian. And this is a heck of a week to come when I'm talking about stuff like this. So I pray that you have not been uh, made fearful of God and his gospel, but have been brought, brought near uh, just by what the Holy Spirit will do in your heart. But even with stuff like this, there's an opportunity for us not to rebel against God, but to turn to him because he's a God that loves you and forgives you of your sin. And he does that through the person and the work of Jesus. And so the offer is on the table for all of us to receive the gift of salvation. That we don't have to be afraid of facing God one day so that we can, before God, say, I've been forgiven and made clean and I'm accepted and loved by him. I'm a child of God. He's bought me with his own blood. Jesus dying on the cross in my place for my sin. But for everybody else who's been walking with Jesus for a little bit, I would say this. When we begin to speak on behalf of God in these manifestation gift ways, using these gifts, God begins to reveal the motives of our heart, the things that are going on on the inside, and we'll know God is really here. And that's what God wants. He's, he's using a myriad of ways, a variety of gifts, to remind us that he is actually here. He's here. And that's, that's what I'm praying. I'm praying to that end, that, that many of you hearing these words today and sort of pro- hopefully diffusing this, this notion of spiritual gifts being way out there and I can't attain to those and I'm actually afraid of something happening like that through me, that you'd be curious at least about it today. That perhaps those of you that are hesitant and maybe even resistant would move one inch closer to at least being curious and saying, God, all right, so Lord, at least show it to me. Show me what I don't see right now. And then I'm praying for others of you who will be like, like arms open wide. All right, Lord, I'm ready. Give me more of you. And when you get more of God, sometimes you get stuff like this. You get the manifestation of the Spirit in your life. And it's not necessarily for you. It's for those around you. And here's the thing, church, as, as we start to exercise these kinds of manifestation gifts, people around you may get it wrong. Can we have grace for people to get it wrong? Job says God is always speaking. The difficulty is, is so God, the Holy Spirit, even in a gift, is speaking clearly. He's speaking uh, perfectly, but we sometimes hear wrongly. We, we hear with fallible ears, and so we, sometimes we get it wrong, or we don't get it quite as clear as we should. And so uh, let's extend grace in that. But I'm praying that our church would grow in this, and I hope that doesn't scare you. We aren't going to become a different church. I'm not going to become a different pastor. I've been filled with spirit speaking in tongues for 30 years. And some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard that or even thought of nothing like, my pastor speaks in tongues. <sighs> Gosh, right? All right, we don't want to be a weird church. We want to be a Jesus church. We want to believe the word. We want to, we want, we want to allow the spirit to come in fully and make us who he wants to be. Amen?
Amen. Father, we're grateful for your words. Lord, help us to receive them, not reject them. Even the parts that we don't understand. Lord, I pray especially for this gathering. These are the people that you've sent to Transit Church for whatever reason. I pray for those who already are operating the gifts, God, that we would loose them. To turn them loose, to use their words of wisdom and knowledge and gifts of healing and faith and miracles. Even prophecy and, and speaking in tongues, God, that we would use those for the edification of your body and the building up of your church, God. And we wouldn't think it's a weird thing. We would think it's a God thing. And God would stir up in us, all of us, just like the, the, the sound of the rushing mighty wind like he did on the axe. They would come and we would worship and we would sense your pleasure as you bestow us with the gifts that you give to edify your church. Grow us, Lord, in this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.